Today, we're speaking of accountability. Uh, you have your outline in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5. Just let me read those verses, please. Listen to them like Brother Rob has tried to teach us to listen to what we read and look at. So help us, Lord, to do that. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that, a, that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the instruction of it. Help us now, O oh God, as we look at the scripture that you will teach us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the most um, sobering or maybe even frightening facts is that we have to face every day is this fact that Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You know that. I know that. The Bible tells us that. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And if you do not happen to be a believer in Jesus Christ today, you also will give an account to Jesus Christ because in the book of Revelation, we have a similar situation, but that comes at the end of time when all unbelievers will stand before God to be judged. And it's an, it, it'll be an awesome day. And he's going to judge you, non-believer, on your works, believe it or not, which you have not done for him, which is nothing. And your name will not be in the book of life, and you will be destroyed forever, eternally separated from a holy God. What an awesome thing. Don't delay your decision. Make it before it is too late, I pray. So, you know, you may say, well, what difference does it make, all of this? Well, I tell you, friends, we are all, we are all ministers of God in a very unique way. And how is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because by your life and my life and my lips and my lifestyle, you are leaving a message as you travel each day of your life. You cannot escape it. You are preaching to people something about whom you represent. And that is our lot in this life. And as believers, what a glorious privilege it really is. So how are those around us hearing the message we give out? Or what message are we really giving? I want to present today three things in your outline that we need to see with regard to accountability and uh, I think they are very, very important. The key word, the key word as we start is the word servants. Servants, very interesting word. So we start with the right attitude. The right attitude uh, in verse 1, you notice what Paul says. The Corinthians were well acquainted with the galley ships. 
these were ships that were we don't see anymore, of course, because this was ancient ways that they traveled. The galley ships, they were, there were three banks on these galley ships, and one above another, and the slaves were on the, they were chained to the bottom oars, and they were called under rowers, under rowers. In other words, they were the bottom shelf of these three tiers of people that were rowing this huge vessel, and they were called the under rowers because they were the bottom one on the, on the ladder. And uh, that's where the word servant comes from in verse 1 of our text today. Paul is telling us that we are servants. We are the under rowers. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Well, we're, like, we're supposed to be like the under rowers. rowers. That's, that's the word servants, like I said. Uh, interesting, uh, Mr. John Bernard Barnett suggested some things as I was reading that I thought was so interesting that that there were there were some attitudes there were some attitudes that these rowers had to take on as they did their work listen to what they are number 1 is submission they had to be submissive and how were they well to keep 150 rowers these guys these slaves to keep 150 of them together the captain beat a rhythmic uh, tempo on his drum. I guess that's when we needed Ernest and Jared and, uh, and uh, Malachi to help with the drumming. They, I don't know how he did it by himself, but he, he had to keep the beat of that thing going all the time so they would be in sync to row that vessel the way it was supposed to be uh, motivated. <clears throat> Quite an interesting thing. Well, each slave had to row with the beat of the captain. Submission. Bible talks a lot about submission. Sometimes we read the verses and we probably just skip to the next one, but you know the Bible says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's James 4, 7. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, likewise you younger people submit yourselves to the, the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Because you see, in the matter of accountability, we want, to, we want to be accountable to each other and, of course, to our Heavenly Father of that which we do day by day in our lives. How important it is. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I heard about a country road in bygone days. Maybe they still have in some parts of America, rural America where a narrow bridge was there and a sign says one word, yield. And you would be careful because there may be another car coming in against you from the other direction. You had to yield. When you went across the bridge and when you came back, there was a sign on that side of the bridge that said yield. So you see, submission. Just to be polite to the next driver they were polite and yielding to each other in whatever direction they were going. What a lesson for us, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. It is, it is, a, it is, a, it is simply just a, a, very, a very special thing to do, and I trust that in life that we will learn the lesson of, of submission. Let the other have the right of way and avoid interpersonal head-on collisions, which oftentimes happen. 
The next word in these that he has suggested about attitude, not only the attitude of submission, but of harmony. Listen to this. The slaves, they had to row together. The oars were 30 feet long. Can you imagine that? That piece of wood, 30 feet long, and, and they, they were, it was held, it was moved by two or three rowers that were, that were actually chained to this oar, this piece of wood. They had to work as a unit, as a team. That's called harmony. There's another attitude which is good for a servant of the Lord, you and me, is trust. Yeah. In the gloomy depths of the boat, this galley ship, the slaves had no idea where they were, where they were or where they were going. They never knew. All they did was just work. Their work was one of total faith and obedience, trust. And in this life that God has given us, my dear friends, we have, we have a, re, a responsibility and a wonderful privilege of just trusting him as we go down life's journey. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what's, what verse could be better? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Oh, what a great direction that is from God's word. I was tickled as I read about dear old Uncle Oscar. He was apprehensive about his first airplane ride. Maybe you were too. I know I was. His, um, his friends, eager to, um, to hear how it went, they asked if he enjoyed the flight. Well, commented Uncle Oscar, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be, but I'll tell you this, I never did put all my weight down. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Trying to help the pilot by sitting lightly in the seat, you know. That's the way some people go through life. They just never really settle down and trust the Lord. Commit your way into the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall direct your path. That's what the Bible tells us, Psalm 37, verse 5. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Then there's a fourth, there's a fourth uh, attitude that these servants had to take on, and we do too. It's one of dedication. As far as the slaves were concerned, it was a one-way trip on, the, on the, hard, the hard, damp benches on which they sat. There was no relief for their weary bones, ever. It was hard. Lack of sunshine and fresh air, can, uh, it, 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 it continued, and the chains were sore, and it meant repeated illnesses during their service. And if the ship went down, there was no way of escape. They would go down also. Dedication. God wants you and he wants me to be dedicated. That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 is such a marvelous scripture in, in the word of God where he says, Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Dedication. You've all heard of David Livingston. What a man of God. Oh, what a, what a story he tells for all of us who 
were missionaries and who want to be missionaries and just want to live in, right here in Ferndale for, for Jesus. David Livingston, the pioneer missionary to Africa, who walked over 29,000 miles. Did you hear that? He did not ride. He walked 29,000 miles. His wife died early in their ministry, and he faced, he faced very stiff opposition from his, from his Scottish brethren. He ministered half-blind. His, his kind of perseverance spurs me on, said the writer. Remember the words of his diary. Here's what, here's what his diary reported about himself. He said, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever, sever me from any tie but the tie that binds me to your service and to your self, your heart. What a, what a testimony from, from David Livingston. And that brings us to the fifth, the fifth attitude, which uh, Mr. Barnett suggested was, is one of humility, humility. Even though the, the men on this galley ship, even though they gave their very lives and breath to keep the ship going, they were never, they were never seen. No one ever, ever saw them. We don't, they didn't know how that, those oars were being motivated, but it was the slaves that were chained to it. In fact, if an under-roar was, was ever seen, it was because he was not doing his job. He wasn't supposed to be seen. Humility. We don't have to be seen, dear people. We just have to serve our Savior. Who cares who sees us as long as we're serving Jesus in whatever capacity he's allowed you to serve. And that could be everything that you are doing as long as you give it to Jesus. You are serving him. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Oh, what wonderful. Humility. Humility. Oh, how we need it. Yeah, I heard about, I heard about the pastor not our pastor, but I heard about a pastor who was voted the most humble pastor in America. And Pastor Carl could be, of course, but this is another story. <clears throat> they, were, they were voted the most humble. He was voted the most humble pastor in America, this particular pastor. And the congregation gave him a medal that said, to the most humble pastor in America. Then they took it away. They took it away from him on Sunday because he wore it. <laughs> oh, humility. Humility is a, is, is a delicate thing, dear people. Humility is a delicate thing. It really is. Well, that takes us to another. After we have seen, after we have seen the attitude of the servants, let's slip over now and look at the at the action of the, the servants. And that, of course, is taken from verses 1 and 2. If one has the right attitude, this sub submission, harmony, trust, dedication, and humility that we've just gone through, th uh, then right action would be the, the, the key thing to follow. And the key word here is steward. Now we come to a different word, steward. You see, a steward is his master's, in his master's house, was entrusted with the property. Boy, he did a lot. A steward in a house did a lot. He, he, uh, he, was, an he was an administrator. He was a trustee. He was an overseer of the estate. Many times he cared for the children. 
did everything for them and dished out whatever they needed for whatever they needed and he was a very important man so the in, the key ingredient for for this responsibility was faithfulness and Paul tells us so in this text today it is required that it be found faithful oh how important that is so i find i find a couple of things that are very very interesting with respect to um, the fact that uh, these these fellows and we as stewards of the Lord, the, notice this. First of all, we see in, in verse 1 the steward's motivation. We see the steward's motivation. It says, um, and it's really, it, it's really interesting as you look at it because he was a steward and this, and this, this uh, prompted him to faithfully perform his duties as, as a steward and as someone under his boss to take complete control of all the goings-on. Hebrews 10.9 says, Behold, I have come to do your will. Of course, Jesus came to do his Father's will, so we know what his motivation was. And, and in Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in, in the land of uprightness. And so, Dear folks, I ask you today, as a steward of the Lord, responsible under the hand of God for all that is in your life, what you say and do and think and how you act and where you work and how you treat your family and everything, what is your motivation? What is your motivation today, I ask? Oh, how important that is. And not only there was a steward's motivation, but there was a student, stu, uh, steward's message. Did you see in verse 1? It talks about, the, um, <clears throat> talks about the mysteries of God. Now, these are biblical truths that in the Old Testament were not revealed, but in the New Testament, now we know the full story of what God was talking about in all of the marvelous prophetic uh, uh, sections of the Old Testament. And now in the new, everything has been revealed. The miracles and all about the church of Jesus Christ. And it's just a marvelous thing. So these are the, in other words, God's word. We are stewards, dear people, of God's word. Whether you want to be or not, you don't have to be a preacher, but you've got to be a steward. You've got to be someone who takes care and takes this word of God and manages it correctly and lets other people know about it through your life and through your lips and through your lifestyle. What a wonderful thing it is. So that's the message. <clears throat> James, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. That's what the Bible meant to Jeremiah. And it should mean the same to us. It should mean such a precious book that we will never, ever forget it. Psalm 119, 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, said, said the writer to the psalm. Preach the word, Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So I ask, dear people, how are we giving out God's word? How are we giving God's word out? Are we a good steward of this message that he has given to us? A driver of a delivery truck came to my door yesterday bringing the, um, bringing the, the mailer, the mailers in which I'm going to mail out my new book, which has just been published, and, and um, 
you know my conviction that everyone that comes to my door is going to hear about Jesus or I'm, I'm in trouble because that's how you give out the message. That's how you do it. That's how I do it. So the package was delivered to me and then I started talking about Jesus. And I discovered that this individual was a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, oh, no problem. I said, I read all of your literature that you bring to my door. I says, and I pulled out, I pulled out a track and said, now, my dear friend, would you please read this? Because this is my message to you about my Jesus. Would you read it? She smiled and said, okay, yes, I will. We find a third thing in this. Not only is the motivation and not only is the message, but there is also the method. The method now is really simple. It's just called faithfulness. He says it required that a steward be found faithful, faithful. I don't have to describe that word. You know what it means already. But just let the definition of it be something very special to you. I think of, I think of Old Faithful at Yellowstone National Park. It shoots out 12,000 gallons of hot water, 150 feet into the air. Other geysers go higher, but not one on a regular basis because... Because old faithful is faithful all the time. Are you faithful in giving out God's word? You say, well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. Well, you are a preacher, yes, because you're giving out God's word. Tell people about our wonderful Savior. Let them know where you stand. Let them know that you're going to go to heaven when you die because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. You are a message. Be sure that you use it and fulfill it the way God wants you to do. Well, you know... There has been a, a right, there's been a right attitude, and there's a right action, and now there's the right assessment in the third place in verses 3 to 5. And it's kind of an interesting because Paul, of course, is an apostle, and he's talking about the, the apostles even in this context. But the application is for you and me absolutely because he, he goes, he, the, the three ways to determine faithfulness are, are given here. And he, and he says it. He says, how others assess you in verse 3. Did you see that? In verse 3, it says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by, by human court. In other words, this is, the way, this is the way you determine faithfulness, how others assess you. Be careful, folks. People are watching. They're going to assess you. So Paul knew that, and he says, yes, this is one way we show our faithfulness. By the, way, by the way we live, and then others will assess you correctly. Oh, there's someone who's really doing it the way they're supposed to. And then, you see, men judge us by the, by the world's standards usually, and let us, let us give them something to really look at, someone who is really serving the Lord and doing it God's way, the right way. There's another way that... Uh, that uh, determines um, faithfulness and performance. It's by how you assess yourself. Look what, look what Paul said in the middle of verse 3. He says, or by a human, or in fact, I do not even judge myself. In other words, Paul says, I look at my own life and I, I'm not making a judgment on my own life because you see, he knows in the next one that God's going to take care of that. But, but see, he's so very, very careful that we are to, how you are to assess yourself. That's the second point, how you assess yourself. You can self-evaluate. You know what you're doing. So you can do that, how wonderful it is. And, you know, 
we have to be careful with this because Paul was not Paul was not capable of judging himself and uh, his his actually his own ministry. He believed he was doing what God commanded him to do. Yet he would not take he would not base success or divine acceptance of his stewardship on his clear conscience alone. He wouldn't do that. Proverbs. 21.1, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord knows his heart. That's where it usually comes down to. Someone will say, well, I'm, I just don't, I just, I'm doing everything okay. That's okay. If you're really doing it the right way, then you're okay. But if you're not, you're not okay. Do it God's way, and then you will be doing and assessing the situation the way it's really supposed to be. Well, what a wonderful thing. You know, <clears throat> there's another way that you assess on the right assessment, not only do you how others assess you, number two, how you assess yourself, number three, how God assess, assesses you. Look at, look at the last part of uh, verse four. But well, I'll read the whole thing. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. There it is. He who judges me is the Lord. That's the one. Therefore, verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. How wonderful, how wonderful this is. That who, it's, so we answer the, the threefold thing. Who, I mean, the first, what? Well, it's the Lord in verse 4. When? It says when the Lord returns. And then what? Well, two things. He's going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and he's going to reveal the counsels of the hearts. Boy, that's pretty important, class. He really knows your heart. He know, you know your heart, too. But he's going to judge it. He's going to make the right assessment in your life. Be sure of that. So the results, each one's praise will come from God. Think not your work of no account, although it may be small. The Lord marks well our faithfulness. He knows you gave your all. The world may not praise you or notice your work, and few here may care when you die. But Jesus will mark all your labor of love, for there will be praise by and by. We as believers will meet Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. I've already mentioned that at the start of the sermon. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we, we believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And a lot of people don't read that verse very far. Would you listen to what verse, that verse says, dear people? Listen to what it says. We must all, these are Christians, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now notice this, that each one... No one escapes. Each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. Don't forget the last few words, whether good or bad. God knows what you're doing. He knows what you have done. He knows what you will do. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll give an account to him of all of those areas of our life. Because it says, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And today, 
If you're here without Jesus, there'll be that judgment, there'll be the great white throne judgment where you will stand and yes, be judged for your works, which you didn't do anything for Jesus. You never accepted him as your savior. You didn't care. The weight of sin was on your life, but you never came to him for forgiveness and repentance so he would give you a new life in Christ, which he offers to all, even, your, even here this morning to you who do not know him. His grace and love is abounding toward your heart and he wants you to be a Christian. He wants you to, to, to give your heart to Jesus and be saved from eternal damnation. You know, and that book, that, that, that great white throne judgment in Revelation, it's going to be an awesome thing because then Jesus is going to open the books, the book of life, and your name will not be there and you will be thrown into the lake of fire. You will go into eternal hell without our Savior. It's, it's mind-boggling and sad, sadder than words can explain why anyone would go away without Jesus. But they do. But don't do it if you're here today. Don't go away without Jesus. It's such an important thing. Just before the death of actor W.C. Fields, a friend visited Fields' hospital room and was surprised to find him thumbing through a Bible. Think of that. Asked what he was doing with a Bible, Fields replied, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> oh, dear listener, there are no loopholes with God when it comes to your soul. You either know Jesus or you don't. And if he's not your Savior, there is no loophole for you. Oh, how sad, how sad. Daniel Webster says, My greatest thought is my accountability to God. Is that your thought today? Accountability to each other about what you're doing and to God, who is really our judge. Let us pray. Father, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've given us in this precious word, the Bible. Help us, Lord, to be sincere and honest before you right now in a way that maybe we've never been before. And if you're here without Jesus, my friend, in the depths of your soul, reach out to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sin. I want eternal life through Jesus who paved the way for me on Calvary's cross and the empty tomb. Lord, help us as believers to live each day in a meaningful way so that when we stand before him and you review our lives that we will be pleased because we have lived for Jesus. Help these dear people, Lord, present today. Oh, how my heart goes out to each one that they will Keep on trusting you and living for you and claiming your help every day of their lives that Jesus will be magnified in their lives. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.